Thanks, Tom. Uh, we are reading from Ecclesiastes 11 and verses 1 to 6. And so I'll just give you a moment to turn there in your Bibles. And as you're doing that, you can also go to our website and you can click on Sunday service and you can grab all of the sermon notes there. So let's read Ecclesiastes 11, 1 to 6. It says this, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. All right, thanks, Steve. Uh, as he said, we are continuing in our series through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, for the last few weeks, what we've been doing is addressing one of the great threats that we all face during this time of crisis. Uh, that is a threat to our internal sense of peace. And we've been dealing with the threat of anxiety. That's kind of been our focus over the last few weeks. But today, our passage is going to take us to something just totally different. Uh, but it is going to be another threat that we face. Nothing like the threat of anxiety, but it's a threat that not only do we face right now during this present crisis, but here's the interesting thing. It's a threat that actually continues to increase the longer COVID-19 goes on, and then it actually increases even more once COVID-19 is done. And so I want to deal with that from our passage this morning. But to set it all up, let me just tell you a story uh, that historians refer to as the greatest missed opportunity in Christian history. Let me show you a map on the screen here. Uh, this is, of course, a map. This is China here. This is most of Asia heading over to Europe. And this is the map from the year 1279. And you probably all heard the name Genghis Khan before. Genghis Khan uh, basically conquered this entire section. And his empire is the largest land empire in the history of the world. You can see it stretches all the way from China all the way over to Eastern Europe. Now, Genghis Khan's son was Kublai Khan or his grandson, I'm sorry. His grandson then inherited Genghis Khan's empire, really at the height of all of its power. During this exact same time, Marco Polo, another name you probably have heard before, came from Europe. He traveled all the way to China. He came into the Khan's court, and the Khan began to express great interest in Christianity. And so the Khan spoke to Marco Polo, and he asked him to go back to Europe to talk to the Pope on his behalf, and he gave him these instructions. This is what the Khan said. Send me 100 men skilled in your religion. If they are convincing, I shall be baptized, and then all my barons and great men and their subjects. And so there will be more Christians here than there are in your parts. So Marco Polo took that message back to Europe. But the Pope did not act. The Pope was very passive. He had some good reasons to. At that time, uh, Europe was being threatened by all kinds of armies, and so he was focused on defending uh, Europe at that moment. 
But he also had some other problems. It was very hard to travel all the way from Europe to China. And so eventually, he didn't give it a lot of thought. He was very passive, but eventually he did send two missionaries. And these two missionaries set out on their travels, but pretty quickly the, the travel got difficult, and so they turned around and they went back to Europe, and the Khan never got his missionaries. So historians like to do one of those what-if scenarios. What if the Khan had got those hundred missionaries? What if the Pope had acted? Instead of being passive, instead of waiting for conditions to be absolutely perfect and ideal, what if he'd taken a bit of a risk and sent the hundred missionaries on the Silk Road and went all the way to China to the Khan's court? What if a hundred missionaries had said, we will embrace hardship. We will take on this stuff. This is not easy, but we're going to do our very best to talk to the Khan about Jesus. How would all of history have been different? Well, I think we can all understand why this would have been a missed opportunity. Uh, I think we're all, we can be sympathetic. We can see, oh, that was a missed opportunity. But I think we've got to be sympathetic because here in this series on Ecclesiastes, we have been seeing that all of life can be described in one word. And that word, can I hear it out there? Can I hear you saying it in your living rooms? Yeah, that's right. It's the word we've been learning, the Hebrew word hevel, which means a breath. And Solomon, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, has been showing us that one of the meanings of hevel is that life is like a breath in the sense that you cannot grab onto it. You breathe. You can't grab it. You can't control it. You cannot shepherd the wind. And so one of the meanings of Hevel is that life is frustratingly elusive. You cannot control it. Normally at this point, I'd come up with an illustration to prove that to you. I don't need to do that today, do I? All of us have fully grasped that life is hevel, that we cannot control it. That is certainly something that we learn as we come to the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't need to convince you of that right now. But there is something that I do want to convince you of this morning. It's what I said earlier, that there is a great threat that comes into your life when you begin to discover the reality that life truly is hevel. When it's not just theory out there and we're saying, okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. When you actually get it, like we do right now in our experience, there is a threat that comes into your heart like a virus. It lays dormant for a while and it grows and it grows so that what I'm trying to convince you of today is that the longer COVID goes on, the greater this threat is in your life now and especially once it's all over. What is the threat? The threat is that we become gun shy. We use that phrase gun shy to describe someone who's had a really bad experience with something and so now they become passive. They're afraid to act. They don't want to do that thing again. They are gun shy because they figured out that they can't control things and that things can go south so to speak. So just say, say a young man, he's in his 20s and he's heard about investing in the stock market. He says, I'm going to invest a thousand bucks. It's basically all I got. He invests his money, but he didn't invest wisely. He loses his money. And so now he becomes gun shy. Instead of learning, instead of trying to become a better investor, let's just say he never invests again in his life. And so he misses all the opportunities to potentially increase his wealth because a bad experience where he discovered that life is hevel, that you cannot control it, has made it so that he is gun-shy. Gun-shy can be good in some situations, 
But gun-shy, usually when we use that phrase, we mean it in a negative sense. That somebody is overly cautious. That somebody refuses to take any risks. That they don't even do, take any action anymore. They just sit back because they're too afraid to step out. And as a result, they miss a lot of opportunities in life. So one great danger of COVID-19 is that you and I become gun-shy about life. It's a danger that we become passive because, listen, this has never happened to any of us before. But now we are all experiencing the reality that life is hevel, that we are not really in control. We now know that disaster can happen and we feel it. And so the potential here is that this can work in our hearts. The longer this goes on, the more fear begins to grow in our hearts. And the more that fear begins to grow in our hearts, the more we become gun-shy. So that when this is all over, we could be very different people. We could be overly cautious. We could never take risks. And as a result, we may miss out on all kinds of opportunities. But our passage today is very unique. It speaks right into the situation that we are in at this moment. Because what Solomon is going to say is, you're right. Disaster can happen. In fact, disaster will happen in your life. The temptation is to become passive, to become gun-shy. But Solomon is saying, no, no, no. That is not how you must respond. You must not become passive. To the contrary, he says, you must redouble your efforts and become twice as active. Many things are going to fail. And so, therefore, you must not be gun-shy. You must put forth extra effort. So, to that end, that we might invest our lives well Learning, becoming wise, but also never becoming gun-shy, Solomon calls us to do four things this morning. Let's start with the first thing that we learn in this passage. Here it is. The first thing he says is that we need to face reality, but, he says, don't let it paralyze you. You need to face reality, but you can't let it paralyze you. This entire passage, I think in first read, I don't know about you, but I was kind of confused when I first started looking at this passage, but it, it begins to make a lot of sense. Hopefully it will do that as we walk through it together. But this entire passage is a call to take action. But underneath it all, Solomon is showing us why we don't take action. And why we don't take action is we don't know the future. The future is scary. And whenever there's something that we fear, and if that fear grows deeply in our hearts, what do we do when we're really afraid of something? One of the most common things we do is freeze when you're really scared of something. And that is exactly what he's going to say. The great threat, the great danger for you and I, in light of all the future that we do not know, is that we freeze, we become paralyzed. So notice with me, just a quick scan of the first six verses here, that Solomon constantly uses a little phrase of things we do not know. There's many things you do not know about the future. So let me, uh, let's look at verse 2, the second half of it. He says, you do not know what, uh, you know not, he says, what disaster may happen on the earth. You know not what disaster may happen. Is that an appropriate verse for right now or what? We had no idea this was coming and man did it come fast. Everything changed for us, just in a few, few days, really. And now a, a new thing has crept into our hearts, and that new thing is fear. 
There is a fear that we have of disaster. And if you, have, if you, live, in light of the, uh, if you live in light of the fear of disaster, you can be paralyzed, you can freeze, you can become gun-shy so that you then never take any risks in life and just say finances, uh, career choices, ministry, those kind of things. But it's not just disasters. He also points out that random things just always happen. So in verse 3, he talks about a tree will just suddenly fall. You have no control over where it lands, whether it's on your road or whether it's on your house. You have no idea. So disasters can happen, random events can happen, and just the knowledge of all this can paralyze us. Or look at the end of verse 5. Here's another thing we do not know. The end of verse 5 says, So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. You don't know all what God does. So here we're talking about knowing the will of God. And this verse says, you can't fully know what God is doing. So, so here's a correction, I think, for us. Uh, the will of God is a very big topic. Maybe someday we should do a whole series on it. But I'm just going to hit up very quickly one of the great dangers that I see amongst many Christians. And here's the danger. It's that Christians are waiting to hear God speak to them so much that they never actually take action. There is a place for waiting on God. I'm not going to get into all that today. But what I want to address is the danger of thinking you need to know everything that God wants to do before you actually act. So I came across a really uh, a funny piece that makes this point perfectly. It's satire, so it's not true, but it's, you know, it's satire. It's supposed to be humorous, but it makes the point. So it's a news article, and here's what the headline says. The headline says, man... 91 dies waiting for the will of God. And this is what the article reads. Walter Houston, described by family members as a devoted Christian, died Monday after waiting 70 years for God to give him clear direction about what to do with his life. He hung around the house and prayed a lot, but never got confirmation, his wife Ruby says. Sometimes he thought he heard God's voice, but then he wouldn't be sure, and he'd start the whole process over again. Houston, she says, never really figured out what his life was about, but felt content to pray continuously about what he might do for the Lord. (laughs) I like that. I think that really makes the point. There's a lot, obviously, that could be said here, but the point here is you cannot fully know the will of God. And so you should not wait until God gives you all the information before taking any action. You cannot know his will, so therefore, You should move forward anyways. You should not be a passive person. And then finally, we also find another thing that we cannot know what will succeed in life and what will fail in life. So notice verse 6 with me. Here's what verse 6 says. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So put this first point together now. Here's what Solomon is doing. Again, I love this about Solomon. He's totally realistic. Every time he talks, he's realistic. He faces reality. And what he says is there's a lot of things you cannot know. You cannot know the future. You cannot know what's going to succeed or fail. You cannot know the ways of God. You do not know when disaster is going to happen on the earth. And why he's bringing all this up is he's been talking about life is heaven. You cannot control it. And now all this future stuff, you don't know what's going to happen. And there's a great danger for you in all of that. The danger is that you become passive 
that fear gets into your heart so that you don't take action when you should take action. And what Solomon wants to warn us against is that threat in our life where, where we just kind of say, man, I figured I cannot control life. And so we say, why bother? What's the point anyways? Why put forth all the effort if disaster is going to happen and ruin everything that I've tried to work so hard for? I mean, why, why work so hard at relationships when I, I just got burned with that one and I got burned with that one? Why even bother investing again? I cannot shepherd the wind. Why bother taking on a leadership position? I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be hard. Why bother even doing that when I just know hardship is going to come? Solomon says, you need to face reality, recognize that threat. You will fail. You cannot know the future. Disasters are going to happen. But what he wants to say now is, do not let it paralyze you. Face reality, but don't let it paralyze you. What we're going to see is that the wise person, rather than being passive, redoubles their efforts and takes action. So that's the first thing we learned. Face reality, but don't let it paralyze you. Here's the second Take bold risks, but here's the follow-up, be wise. Take bold risks, but be wise. Now we're looking at verses 1 and 2. Here Solomon is urging us to be bold, to take risks in life, but he doesn't want you to make stupid risks. He wants you to be wise about it. So first of all, let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 is a call to take bold risks. Look at verse 1 with me. Cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Now, this is an ancient saying. It's largely been lost to us. I don't know about you, but when I first started looking at this, I was like, I have no idea what that means. So I, I got to do a bunch of research, and now it seems a lot more clear to me. But as I first looked at it, I thought, what, what is the picture here? That we're all supposed to take a loaf of bread, go all go down to the inner harbor, you know, toss all our bread into the inner harbor, and, oh, and we're supposed to come and find it again after many days? Why would we want a soggy, moldy bread? What would be the point of all that? Well, what does it all mean? I, I, was, I was reading all the commentaries. Uh, there's all kinds of different views, but most commentaries think that what's being referred to here is international trade. Here's the picture. You're a farmer. You take all your grain, your bread that is, you take the bold risk of putting your grain on a ship and you have people on the other side of the sea who you do business with and you send your grain out on the waters. It disappears. It's gone for quite some period of time. But if you're patient, if you wait after many days, that boat is going to come back to you with your reward, with whatever uh, goods have been traded uh, that the person on the other side of the sea is now sending back to you. So you'll get your reward after many days, but you've got to take the bold risk and send your grain across the sea. That seems to be what he's talking about here. In our day, since this phrase has been lost to us, here's probably the best phrase in our day. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. This is a call to take bold risks. Notice, it's the very opposite of passivity. Yes, life is heavy. Yes, you can't control it. But here you are called to take bold risks, not be passive. Yet, it's also a call to be wise in how you do that. So look with me now at verse 2. Here's what verse 2 says. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. 
Now, there are many reasons why you might become gun-shy and passive and not take the bold risk of sending your grain across the sea. I mean, the most obvious reason why uh, you become gun-shy is maybe last time you did it, the boat sunk. And now you're thinking, man, should I be doing that again? I just lost all of that grain. You're becoming gun-shy. There's a new fear that has come into your heart. And so maybe you don't want to act. Maybe you want to think, I I think I'm just going to put all my grain in the barn now. But that's not going to be helpful. You can't eat all the grain. You can't get rid of it all. So what should you do? The answer is take the bold risk, but be wise and make provisions just in case disaster strikes. This means, in this verse, spreading out your wealth in seven or eight different ways. So maybe that's seven or eight different ships that go across the sea. Maybe it's you send some of the grain across and use some of the grain to, uh, I don't know, buy a local coffee shop and set up a small business there. Who knows? In our day, we also have a phrase for this. Can you think of what it is? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Or diversify your portfolio. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. So this is kind of a general principle for all of life. Don't allow the fear of disaster to paralyze you. No risk means no reward. You don't want to miss out on massive opportunities. Take bold risks, but do it wisely. Now, all this really comes to us in Jesus' famous parable of the talents. In Matthew chapter 25, do you remember that story? There Jesus tells about a king, and he's got four men. And these four men come into his throne room, and he gives every one of them differing amounts of money. And then he goes away for a while. These three of these men take the money that has been given to them, and they go out and they take risks, and they invest it. And they actually get a good return on their investment so that when the king comes back, they can say, here's the money, and here's the, the, the uh, extra interest that we earned on it while you were gone. We cast our bread on the water. It came back to us. Now here, king, is what we've got for you. But one of the men was fear-based. Fear crept into his heart. And so he took the money and he buried it, which seemed kind of like a good strategy because there's no potential risk there. It's buried. No one's going to find it. It's for sure going to stay there. No risk at all. Obviously a very gun-shy man. But when the king comes back and he calls for an account, he calls him a wicked servant. He says, I gave you this money. You were supposed to go out and use it for me. You're supposed to invest it, not bury it in the ground. And the point of that story, Jesus says, is that God has given you, God has given me, differing gifts and abilities and opportunities in life. Your gifts and abilities are very different than mine. I'm not accountable for you. You're not accountable for me. But we are all to take whatever God has given us from our money, our education, our resources, our time, whatever all that is, we are to take it, cast our bread on the waters, and to try to multiply it for the sake of the kingdom. God is not pleased if people take the life that he has given them and they do not invest it at all. No risk, no reward. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. But let's be honest, some of the things that you do are going to fail. And Solomon's saying, yes, that's for sure. Some of your ships are going to sink. You're going to try something and it's not going to work at all. Other things that you try to do may not even produce an immediate reward. But this text is calling you to be patient, for one day you may just see your ship coming back across the sea loaded with reward. So here's the question. What bold but wise risks 
can you take to use your life for God's glory? Maybe in this period of COVID-19, God is giving you some space to rethink all of this, to rethink your whole life even, and, and how am I using my life? How am I using all parts of my life for his glory? How can you take what God has given you and multiply it for his glory? Here's what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3. He says, whatever you do, work heartily. Give your whole heart to it. Don't don't be passive. Don't be gun-shy. Throw yourself into it. Work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So those are the first two things. we got to face reality. Yes, we cannot control things. Disasters can happen. But don't let it paralyze you. Positively speaking, take bold risks, but be really wise in how you go about it. Here's the third thing. Be wise in your actions, but don't wait until conditions are perfect. So take those bold risks, be wise, step out, don't be passive, but just make sure you don't wait until conditions are absolutely perfect before you actually take any action. So look with me now at verse 4. Here's what verse 4 says. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So here what we have basically is an image of two farmers. The one farmer, he wants to sow his seed, he wants to act, but he he spends so much time gauging the wind so it's not going to blow away all his seed. He spends so much time doing that, he never actually sows any seed. And then the second farmer, his harvest is ready to be reaped, but he's spending so much time watching the clouds exactly when is there going to be dry enough and when's the rain going to come that he doesn't actually do the reaping of his harvest. So both of them have every good intention to act, but they are waiting until conditions are perfect before acting. And so because conditions really are never perfect, they never actually act. Again, Solomon wants us to face reality. The reason why we often do not act and we miss major opportunities in life, like the Pope did, for instance, is because conditions are not perfect and we're waiting for everything to be perfect before we take action. And there are times, of course, when we should not act, when it's very foolish to act. Like right now, there's some foolish things that you could be doing. But you should not wait until conditions are perfect before acting. Now, let me apply this, I think, to us as a church family and kind of where we have been and where we are going. I want to submit to you, if you're part of the Central family, that we here at Central are always in great danger of being passive, more than other churches. Here's why I say that. I say it because we are reasonably comfortable. We're a pretty large church. We've been financially secure over the years. Our building is paid off. We've got all kinds of competent people. And because all these things are in place, it's very easy to just beginning to coast. Oh, yes, we should act. We should do things. But let's wait till conditions are perfect. Let's, let's, not, quite, let's not risk any of the stuff that we kind of got nicely set into place here. And so our sense of urgency can greatly decline. But here's what I want to say to us as Central Baptist Church. There are 385,000 people in the CRD. How many people come to Central? Eh, Maybe 700. Sunday mornings, we've got a little over 500, about 700 people part of our church family. Let's add up all the other churches in the CRD. What kind of number do you think we get to? Let's just call it 10,000. I don't even know if it's that high. 385,000 people who do not know Jesus Christ, for whom mortality right now 
is something that everyone is aware of. Where is the sense of urgency? Oh, conditions are not ideal. But even though conditions are not ideal, we must act. We must be wise. We must move forward. We cannot wait for ideal conditions. When are they ever going to come? And so as a church, as we begin to move forward, we've, sometimes we've got to be wise. I mean, let's be honest. Now is not the time to start a second service. That would be dumb. Now's not the time to try to plan a church. That'd be foolish. Now's not the time to continue our building renovation idea plan, which we're, we've been batting around for the last little while. That's, this is not the time for that. But this still is the time to act. We do not want to just batten down the hatches. COVID's happening. So, you know, we'll just ride this thing out because it's too hard to do stuff right now. No, at the church, what we're trying to do is say, how can we take, take these lemons and turn them into lemonade? Uh, how can we see this as opportunity? And so even things like revamping our live stream, uh, neighborhood market, some drastic changes to how it's done. But you need to know how blessed people are with this essential service being offered to them. Youth ministry going online, kids ministry going online, all the things we're trying to do right now, starting this little uh, video series for such a time as this, just little ways that we're trying to try to make a difference. We're not saying, oh, let's just sit back and be passive because conditions aren't perfect right now. We're trying to do the opposite. How do we redouble our efforts, be bold, but also be wise? So as we move forward as a church, let's ponder on this because here's my fear. My fear is that we come back after COVID-19 and this disaster has worked a new fear in our hearts where we become a gun-shy church, where we're afraid to take risks, we're overly cautious because we don't want anything to fall apart. Meanwhile, we've got like 700 people, competent staff, building paid off, everything is, conditions are almost perfect. But my fear is that we have fear and we do not move forward until conditions are purposed. Let's, let's, Ponder on this and see what this means for us once this whole COVID thing is done. One last thing that Solomon wants to say to motivate us away from passivity into activity. Here it is. Leave the results to God, but work your tail off. Leave the results to God, but work your tail off. This is where he's going now with the next part. So let's look at verse 5. Here's the leave the results to God part. Verse 5 says, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. In other words, how a baby is made, how a soul comes into this child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So this verse is asserting God is at work. God can accomplish things that you have no idea how a child becomes conscious. How does a soul and a body fit together? I have no idea how that works. But this verse is saying God is at work doing it. Leave the results to him. Don't stress about that kind of stuff. But verse 5 teaches us, oh, verse 5 teaches us that, but verse 6 calls us to work hard or to work our tails off, as I'm saying. Here's what verse 6 says. Look at it with me. In the morning sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So right here we are seeing uh, this threat of passivity coming into our hearts. And, and, and right here the dividing line is being made. So right now we all understand life is heavy. All the control freaks, we've lost it. 
right? We, we, figured we cannot control anything. I can't even plan a few weeks out. I'm trying to plan sermons up into the next four or five weeks. I'm like, oh man, five weeks now seems a long ways away. Usually I'm eight months ahead of time. Now I'm like, oh man, let's just go four weeks ahead and we'll see what happens when we get there. But there's a danger that comes in at this moment. And the danger is when we see we cannot control life, we just say, why bother? Why bother working so hard if everything's just going to collapse anyways? But here now we see the other side. Here's the opposite. Solomon says, no, if you want to be wise, do not give in to passivity. Do not give in to fear. The wise person, he says, does the opposite. Since there's the possibility of disaster, we work twice as hard. That's what he wants to call us to. Who knows? One thing may fail, but another might succeed. If you only do one thing, failure is for sure. If you do both, one might succeed. So leave the results to God, but just like a, a farmer, you got to work your tail off. I lived in Alberta growing up. I know how hard farmers work, and here is a perfect example. This farmer, he says, he's getting up early to sow his seeds, so he's doing his crop type thing, but then notice at evening he withholds not his hand. So in other words, he's doing something else. So I don't know what he was doing in this context, but in Alberta, maybe they would also have cows, maybe they have pigs, maybe they have chickens. He was diversifying his portfolio, so he's working on the crop in the morning, he's working with the pigs in the evening, and then what the verse goes on and says is you need to do this because worst case scenario, the crops fail, but the pigs do well, so you're still doing okay. Other scenario, the pigs all die of something terrible, the crops succeed. Or, best case scenario, all the things that you put your hand to and work so hard at, they all succeed. And now life is going really well. So even as a church, let's talk about this again. I, I want us to continue as a church to be diversifying ourselves, focused, but sowing the seed in many different ways. And so over the last couple of years, we've been emphasizing how we think we need to grow in technology. We need to invest more in this. And wow, has this situation ever shown us how important that is. If we, imagine if we'd not even taken the steps we had over the last few years, none of this, what you're experiencing right now, would be happening. It would be me, I don't know, maybe it would be a big conference call and your, your, your ear would be getting hot because you'd still be listening to the phone like old school, right? But that's not what's happening because we invested in technology. But now what, what we're trying to do is continue to invest in this for the sake of the gospel. I want to just really clarify something here because I think this is a good moment to learn on this. When we first started saying that we want to invest more in technology, we got pushback and some people even said, you know what, I don't know if I want to be part of this church because I think you're just trying to be a cool church. Let me just say it to you very clearly. We could care less about being a cool church. Couldn't care less. Here's what we do care about. Spreading the gospel seed in as many possible ways as we can. Who knows what one video sermon may do? Lots of video sermons just get viewed a couple of times, a few dozen times. Some video sermons, over a thousand times. Who knows? Who knows what a social media post may do? Maybe it goes to someone who's never heard of Jesus and that links and a series of events follow and they end up becoming in contact with our church or some of our people and they get to know Jesus. Who knows? Who, maybe, maybe the videos fail but the social media works. Maybe the social media does nothing and the video works. But listen, maybe they all work. All we want to do 
is take the seed of the gospel and spread it in as many different possible mediums and ways as we can. We leave the results to God. I have no doubt that much of it's going to fail. But what if some of it succeeds? What if lots of it succeeds? What if God is pleased to use it to bring many into his kingdom? We leave the results to God, but we work our tails off. Solomon has identified this great threat that we're all under right now with COVID. The threat is that we become gun-shy because we're afraid, because fear has now worked its way into our hearts. We know disaster can happen. But Solomon is saying, no, you got to face reality, but you need to make bold and wise choices. You need to step out. You need to work hard. So we need to hear that right now. How do we do that right now? But we especially need to hear it once this is all done. For the longer this goes on, the more that fear can grow in our hearts and change and shape us so that we become passive people and maybe miss out on opportunities. But listen, on this side of the cross, we have even greater assurance than Solomon did. Greater uh, desire, greater ability to work hard, even risking failure. Why do I say that? I say it because through Jesus Christ, we have absolute security for ourselves. If everything else fails, we are utterly secure in Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus and his resurrection, all the work we do for him is never in vain. We can do all this because of what Jesus accomplished for us. And what did Jesus accomplish for us? His father told him to cast his bread upon the waters. In other words, he said to him, son, I want you to go and not only put your life at risk, I want you to give your life. I want you to cast your bread, Jesus called his body the bread, uh, out on the waters. And Jesus came down and he said, I will obey my father's wishes. But Jesus felt just like we do. He knew what was before him. Here's the big difference. It wasn't just a bold risk what Jesus did. It was an absolute certainty that he would face disaster. He wasn't just risking when he came into this world. He knew what the Father asked him to do. He knew that his ship would be sunk. And yet he, in the garden, said, Father, if there's any other way, I don't want to have to face this disaster. But if there's any other way, I'll do it. But if you want me to do it, I will. And so he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. And having sent his bread out on the waters, he did receive back his reward after many days. For after the third day, the Father raised him from the dead. And he gave him a name above every single name. He gave him the reward of all the people for whom he had died. This great reward which Jesus now, we get to be a part of. And so because of what Jesus has done, everyone who comes to Christ can live with this absolute security. The absolute security is that no matter what happens in life, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you have that security, you can risk other things. You can risk things like money because what's money? That's not what we're building our life on anyways. Time, I want to invest in a project. I'll try and do that. If it fails, oh well. I'm totally secure in who I am in Christ. And we can work hard, knowing that much of our work will probably fail. We have no idea what's going to succeed and what won't. But we can work hard, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So, brothers and sisters, pay attention 
to this threat that begins to grow in your heart, the longer and maybe the worse this disaster gets. There's much we need to learn from COVID-19. We need to learn that life truly is heaven, that it is a breath that we cannot control, we cannot shepherd the wind. But we must not allow the fact that life is heaven to make us passive people who are gun-shy, overly cautious, never stepping out and acting. Rather, we must be the opposite. Because of our deep security in Jesus Christ, we need to take bold but wise risks. We need to be wise but not wait until conditions are absolutely perfect before acting. We can leave the results to God, but we work hard knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for that ultimate security that we have in Jesus Christ that nothing can touch, no virus can touch, not even death itself can touch. What a hope, what a security that we have. We thank you for this in Jesus Christ. We thank you, we give you praise. Father, enable us now, I ask you that you would give us wisdom. Give us wisdom to know how to live in this time. Give us wisdom to know what action looks like in a time when we must be physically distanced from each other. Give us new ideas, new insights. Help us to make bold but wise risks. Father, we look to you. We want our lives to count. We want on that great day for you to look at this period within our lives and to say to us, well done, good and faithful servants. You took what you had with the limitations that were there and you multiplied it for the sake of my kingdom. Allow us each to know what that looks like individually, as families, as a church. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.